Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey friends, welcome to the Tennis and Bagels podcast. Uh, this is the first one of 2024, uh, first one in over a month now, uh, but it's, well, we needed a bit of a rest, what can I say? Like the tennis season is very long and the off season is very short. Uh, luckily, we don't have to be traveling around like the players and, you know, some other journalists and whatnot, but I still want to be here and like enjoying tennis and we have been catching up. If you follow us on Twitter, you can see that we've been tweeting this entire time since December 31st. <laughs> when the 2024 season started. Um, but yeah, we are midway through the Australian Open. Um, we already had like some notable matches, some really good first rounds, some really good second rounds, some really good third rounds already, um, some big upsets, and some of my predictions are already completely gone. Um, but some are still alive, so we'll see what happens. And um, yeah, I'm here with uh, Owen today. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great. Uh, excited to talk about this tournament. How are you? All right, just uh, yeah, trying to catch as much as I can on the Australian Open. Is it gets harder and harder as every year passing. <laughs> but uh, yeah, those three AM um, alarm clocks. I- I'm not even setting them up before I used to set them and just kind of go back to sleep. Now I don't even bother. Um, lost uh, a match. I couldn't. I don't think I could watch a single one of Bia Haddad Meyer's match, which are she's now my current favorite player on both tours, um, and. She lost this morning, 3 a.m. Um, to Team of Fever. Team of Fever, I would say that was probably the, the better, the better way to pronounce it. But good, good, um, good performance overall. I'm happy that she got there. She had a really good chance to reach the second week, um, but it wasn't to be this time around. But whatever. She has a good, good time and good legs for the rest of the season. And um, yeah, so yeah, what are you, what are, what are some notable? I think. Um, first week which by the way uh some of the matches as we speak are going to start in about one and a half hours um from so by the time that you listen to this podcast some of the third rounds would already have happened because it's only going probably coming out tomorrow morning on the saturday the 20th of january so uh, excuse us if we don't know the results in advance <laughs> so yeah. um that's it but yeah so what do you what are some first you know I guess impressions of the first week of the Australian Open. Any of the predictions changed? Any of the confirmations of predictions that you've made? Well, both of the both of my picks for the titles are still in. I will say that uh, Carlos Alcaraz and Coco Golf through through. Uh, I, I think Golf is into the fourth round. Alcaraz is into the third round, and he plays again tonight. I think. Um, but the match that sticks out to me the most is uh, Igor Fiontek, Daniel Collins because, oh my God. 
that was amazing. The world number one coming within two games of going out in the second round and comes back from a double breakdown in the third set, wins five games in a row, Collins with a bit of a collapse, but what a match. It was that that was pretty awesome. Did you, were you able to catch that? I watched um the very the tail end of the second set and the whole of the third set. It was really it was really good. Oh yeah. I couldn't believe the level of Collins was putting in that match. I didn't expect her to play that well, seriously. <laughs> yeah, because before the match, I was thinking, I, I remember the match that Collins beat Iga at, at the Australian Open two years ago, destroyed her in the semis. And I was thinking, okay, so like m- maybe it's a matchup thing and she can do this again. And then I look at their head-to-head, and since then, twice Iga has beaten her and only lost one game. There was a 6-0-6-1 and a 6-1-6-0. So I'm thinking, okay, maybe not. And then... You know, I'm watching. Ego wins the first set, okay. And then Collins just, in the second set, she just caught fire and brought it back to 2022. And then it was like, okay, yeah, maybe she can do this again. Um, Her backhand return was on fire. She, um, it like, it was crazy. It was like every single second serve like went into her strike zone or she would like move her strike zone to wherever the second serve was landing. Um, And yeah, I mean, that third set... um. It looks like she could win that 6-1 or 6-2. And uh, so huge credit to Ego for coming back. But, I mean, that that was was crazy. Collins not only nearly beat her, but nearly beat her pretty decisively, I think. Yeah. Um, Some could argue that she maybe should have won um, at least like a 6-3 at the end because Ika got one of the the breaks back, was down love 40 a 4-2. she played some really brave tennis as well, though, uh, from that point on and defended herself really well. Um, there was a bit of a collapse at 4-1 from Collins. I think she got broken to love. Uh, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, but it's um, it was just... It's it's hard to pinpoint exactly what Collins should have done because I think at that point, I think Juan Ignacio pointed it out that Iga basically went on lockdown mode. She didn't really make any enforced errors until the right. end of the, the set. So it, it was hard. She uh, Collins would have needed to keep her level really high all the time, yeah. um, which understandably she she wasn't able to do. I guess more so because of you know um, maybe she got nervous rather than she uh, you know tired. I don't think that was the case. I think she by the time that she got to four one, pretty decisively in the third set. I think that maybe you know the nerves maybe got caught on. It's like it was it was going to be a pretty big win. Um, especially at the stage of her career, which, by the way, she says she's ending this year. Yeah, that that was a surprise, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I, so I think the game that decided the match really was that four-two game in the third set, because, like you said, Collins goes up low forty, and and then Iga just has this amazing hold where finally she starts serving to the forehand because she was getting killed by the backhand repeatedly, but she starts serving to the forehand, gets out of three break points. And then it deuce. I'm not sure if everyone remembers this. She surfs to the forehand, and Collins hits back this bullet return that lands on the baseline. Um, it's a great return, and all Iga can do is kind of like block it and reflex it back. And she gets really lucky because the ball, like, it turns into a great accidental drop shot. You know, she she didn't try to hit that. She was just reacting. But it turns into a great drop shot. Collins um, has to run up to it, like can't really get it back aggressively and then Iga passes her and then that made it add and and then she gets the goals. I feel like I don't know, I feel like if that's breakpoint instead, um, 
Yeah, I feel like I feel like if it's a break point, maybe Collins gets to five two. Um, but I think just the way that point played out, it did have a little feeling of like the universe is on Shuyantek's side a little bit. Um, and so when, yeah, so I, and then I think once she got that hole, she started playing with more freedom. Um, hold holds easily to get to um, uh, or sorry, break breaks pretty comfortably. I think to get to four all holds comfortably to get to five four, and then at that point from Colin's perspective, it's like, where the hell did my lead go? Now I'm the one with my back against the wall. I, I would have been really impressed if she had been able to uh, survive that. And and she got close. Like, she came, she saved a couple of match points. Really impressive. But I think when the turnaround is kind of that sudden and that extreme, I think it's it's really, really difficult to do anything. Yeah. And, yeah, I think that part of, uh, I guess, when... Man, I keep forgetting like what I, what I wanted to say about. This. Oh yeah, but like I think after Iga got that hold specifically um, from lot forty, because she got the break, but she never really felt like that comfortable. Still, um, and Collins definitely felt like she kind of gathered herself um, after getting broken and just like ran right straight back into it. Um, I think Iga definitely still looked pretty lost um, in that set. She looked pretty hopeless, like when she went down four one. I was just like, I saw this and I was like, well. I don't know what's going to happen. I, I'm not convinced that this is going to be like a 6-1 set, but we'll see what happens. I, I think Iga, is Iga going to be uh, in that situation again where she just looks hopeless and doesn't know how to fight back? Or is she going to, you know, be proof that, that she's going to just be able to keep the ball back in, try, try to find, uh, find a new, uh, find answers and whatnot? I think the, the forehand was really getting caught up in the baseline as you were you were saying, like the the return like right to her feet, um, and it wasn't the f just that that was like one example of things that went well, I guess because of some luck. But it was quite often that you go just kind of either make an unforced error off the forehand, or you would just like loop it back and just like be very attackable of shot. So I think this could still be a problem for her uh, throughout the tournament. I don't think she's safe, <laughs> um, especially because if Ostapenko seems, seems to be playing well right now, so. Um, if she gets to that point, um, I think Ostapenko probably got the the memo that her game is still pretty effective against Fiontek on that kind of court. Um, but yeah, I feel like she she got lucky in in that um, maybe at that point when she got the whole Collins looked a bit more lost than what she yeah. did. She still played some really amazing tennis, but at that point, Iga got herself back in the in her confident mode and. Um, I think one of the commentators said at some point, like, what can Iga Shiantek do um, to bother uh, Collins' game? And one said, like, well, she's a much better mover, and uh, Collins isn't as great right now, like, uh, especially side to side, and you could see it. And I think Iga Shiantek really did great with that, like, using her backhand and the forehand, just push her side to side, and especially the floor uh, backhand, just a little flatter. Uh, and she really got Collins out of position. So I think that. That was the the tactical change that made a difference in that third set. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I feel like it, it was it was part Shiantek, um doing some tactical changes and being confident in her game, and part Collins kind of falling apart a little bit, especially in some crucial moments. Um, so yeah, I don't. I'm not. It's it's a match that was good, but it's not a match that I'm convinced that says Igor Shviantek is going to win this tournament. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Although, I think the other side of that Ostapenko thing is, let's say Ostapenko loses before that meeting with Iga, 
um, Rabakina is out now, and she, and I I would have favored Rabakina pretty comfortably actually to be Iga. So now, now I think if Shviontek can get past that Ostapenko round, whether she has to play her or not, I think she's and and assuming everything is okay physically, I think she would almost have like one foot in the final already. Yeah. Um. So yeah, who knows? Um. And, and I think this is also. I feel like there are two ways to look at the match. One is like, yeah, she's just not playing well enough. She's not going to win this tournament. But the other is like, she had this great comeback, escaped a match that she probably should have lost. Now she's going to be playing with house money and um, it's just going to like steamroll everyone. And I, I think that's possible too. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't quite see it. I think I think Ostapenko was probably going to beat her again. Yeah. Um. Ostapenko also needs to get through Azarenka, but I think that's going to happen. Um, yeah, although that that's tough. Azarenka does well, and and in Australia, I, I forgot that it was those two who who yeah. were not tough. Um, I what I will say is if, I mean, so Coco Golf is my pick to win. Yeah. If it's a final with Iga and Coco, I do not like Coco's chances one bit. Yeah. Um, but I think that if it's not that final. Like, if it's Sabalenka instead, I think that's kind of a coin flip between Sviantek and Sabalenka. Might even slightly favor Sabalenka. And, um, and yeah, I, I think that just that, that Ostapenko match, I, I really want to see that because I think, um, that, that Collins match, that had the risk to become kind of the same match as that one with Ostapenko at the US Open, right? Like, Sviantek takes a lead, Ostapenko catches fire. And then Shvantech couldn't do anything. She got bulldozed. And in this match, she was getting bulldozed and then she fought out of it. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but, and even though Collins was playing so well, Peak Collins is not quite the same as Peak Ostapenko, I think. So I, I want to see if Shvantech can do that against Ostapenko. Um, I think, um, you know, the end of the season, she made that run to get back to number one. Um, it was amazing. But I, she didn't really have a win in that stretch that convinced me, like, she's oh, she solved this, or she would beat Rabakina next time, or um, or she would beat Ostapenko next time. So I, I would just really like to see it with my eyes. Yeah, um, yeah, but we, how, how many rounds are we still far from Ostapenko? Oh, two rounds still. Um, this is third round. Uh, Gershantek is uh, playing Noskova today, and she could face Svitolina next round. <laughs> Excuse me. I do like her chances against both these players, obviously, especially after coming through Collins on fire. Um, she must be feeling pretty good. And um, as you said, in a way, she's playing with house money. Um, Rebakin is out, so it's like one less problem ahead of her to be anxious about, even though I'm fairly sure that psychologically she handles um, the future pretty well. Like, just try to like get yeah. this out of her head. Um uh, but I'm I'm liking her chances to get through to to the semifinals at least, uh, and then yeah, I don't I don't really see one other than Ostapenko. I don't see much here in the draw. Uh, yeah, I, with, I, I I will say I will say that Svitolina beat her at Wimbledon last year, and yeah. I, I I mean at the time I, I I didn't see that match, and I thought it was kind of a mystifying result because I like Iga had gotten through a match there against Bencic that was. The kind of one like the one against Collins, yeah. where like it's a very narrow escape. And I think after that one, I was like, oh, maybe she'll be playing with house money. And then, and then I think Svitolina beat her, you know, fairly comfortably. Um, I think, yeah, I think it was maybe six four six four something, like, something that. like that. And and so, um, you know, this is hardcore to not grasp. So I, I do think it would go Ego's way. But you know, 
I, I don't know. Since um, b- both her first rounds have been, her first two rounds have been really tough. So maybe Spitalina is, maybe it's just going to be one of those tournaments where every opponent is kind of a banana skin. Yeah, it's 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 definitely not a favorable draw still. <laughs> it hasn't been from the start and it hasn't really changed. The only player that really went out of her way is, is basically just Ravakina. Um, we have yeah, Chin Wen Zhang here who's technically supposed to be on her uh, semifinal. So I think that's the the one player that I could see um, causing problems. I think Chin Wen Zhang, um, she took, she didn't take a set off of Iga, I believe in Roland Garros, but she played one of the best matches against her. Yeah, I don't think maybe I, two I, years I think, ago. I think she did take a set actually. Um, six. I, I, it was definitely a seven-six, but I don't remember. Yeah, yeah. I I think Iga was ahead and had a bunch of set points, and then Zhang won it in a tiebreak, and then kind of, and then and then I think she had cramps and and then yeah. ended up losing the last two sets pretty comfortably, but she did win the first one. Yeah, but now Zhang is actually playing really well. She had a really good uh, end of season. Um, I think things could turn into her favor as well, and not impossible, but. Yeah, um, yeah. Just we'll if we then. should we talk about Rabakina a bit because oh uh, yeah, because kind of talking about a big picture in terms of who was the favorite, I feel like going in, I I don't know if she was like the the favorite like in terms of odds, but I think a lot of people were picking her. Like she was a pretty hot pick, and um, so I feel like in that context you could say she blew it. Like she lost in the second round. But the match that she lost in the second round was so good and had such a thrilling finish that I think like basically no one is saying that she blew it because Anna Anna Blakova played such an incredible tiebreak and saved six match points I think, um, yeah. w- which is just unbelievable. Were Were you able to watch that? I wasn't unfortunately. I think it was like one of the night matches that I started at three a.m. I wasn't able to catch the match highlights even still, but. Uh, I'm pretty sure the Australian Open actually, well, for the regions where it's available uh, on YouTube, you can watch the full tiebreak. Yeah, yeah. So absolutely do it if you get a chance. I think it's like half an hour long. But yeah, I did that. I did that this morning. Like I woke up after, um, I like I woke up and I after the madness of the previous night and just saw that result and I was like, what? Yeah, that's crazy. I think it was like ten. Um, Blinkova had like ten match points converted over tenth or something like it- that. Something like that. And, you know, my, my favorite detail from that tiebreak is that, um, so I think on one of Blakeba's match points, Rabakina hits a forehand winner down the line that it wasn't like, it. I feel like Blinkova could have had a play on it, right? Mm. Like she, um, it wasn't a super fast shot and she was out of position, but I feel like if she had completely sprinted for it, she maybe could have gotten there. And then on Rabakina's match point, she has Blinkova on the run. And there's kind of a similar thing where, like, Blinkova gets pushed into that forehand corner, and then Robakina hits the open court, and this time Blinkova just makes an absolute sprint for it, gets there, runs down a drop shot, and and hits it hard enough that Robakina's kind of stretch stab into the open court uh, goes into the net. Um, so I, I I don't know. I just kind of loved that detail of like when it was her match point, she didn't totally go for it. I, I mean, maybe she couldn't have gotten to this forehand no matter what, but when she was down match point. She just didn't take any chances, um, and uh, I, yeah, that was that was just amazing. Yeah, there's like survival instinct, right? It's just like, what are you gonna do? Like, unless it's like an extremely so so good drop shot, they have absolutely no chance. But if like any, if you have any chance of getting there, uh, I think players are just like, just go for it. Like, I know I would, and I'm nowhere near a professional level. So, so uh, and. And yeah, I, I also just want to say a quick word and praise of the 10-point tiebreak. Like that, 
that work that has been working so well for Izzo sighting said even if you don't get one that great like this 22 20 pretty sure i saw longest tie break ever at grand slam level um but a, a 10 point tie break is just it's so long that you were going to have at least one momentum swing right like yeah. Each player, you are going to go down a mini break. Maybe you're already up a mini break when you lose a point on mirror surf, but it's going to happen. You are not going to win, I don't know, seven, eight, nine straight points on mirror surf. And so, um, so even when a player goes up like seven one, it's like it's not quite over, you know. Like it, it maybe it gets back to seven five or something. Yeah. Like the one between Casper Rude and Max Purcell was a little like that. Rude got off to a huge lead, and then Purcell kind of closed the gap, and it it wasn't enough to win, but he um. He hit a couple crazy shots on, on the way. Like he, um, there's this forehands down the line that winner that might have gone around the net post, and it just like it just hit the line so perfectly from such a wide position that, um, you know, I'm not a fan of uh, aesthetics in tennis, Andre, or at least not the traditional ones. But just that shot was just so aesthetically pleasing the way it hit the line. Um, I'm it's the kind of shot I'm gonna rewatch probably like 15 times this year. Um, yeah, ju- just a great night of tennis all around. Sometimes it just succumbs to the aesthetics, just because the ball trajectory is just so appealing. I, yeah, exactly. Like that, that's the thing. I, ball trajectory. I, I I agree with people on the aesthetics. Yeah. Like, um, it's just like the Nadal banana shot, one of the most beautiful shots I, ever. Dude, I was just literally just thinking about that. And then and then the other one was um that happened recently was in the match between uh, Alicia Parks and Coco Goff, which you know Parks really didn't play very well. She um, it seems like Goff's defense just totally kind of got got in her head and so she is on top of some of these points and then just missed putaways by a mile because of Goff's defense but I, I think in the second game like she gets broken in the first game and then the first point of that next game like she hits this backhand winner cross court at just such like this insane angle it didn't make any sense it's mm-hmm. the kind like you see and it's like was that in like that had to have landed out because that angle is not possible um but yeah she she hit one of those which that was just remarkable yeah yeah, like in, coming back to Rubakin, I think that I think that is definitely the the definition of a, of an upset that was caused and not like premeditated in the sense yeah. of like uh, Rubakin blowing it. Um, it's it's definitely starting probably to weigh on Rubakin a little bit right now. It's like um, uh, we are definitely far away from the um, new big three in the WTA narrative right now, um, which. For the people who cautioned everybody not to start using this term on them, uh, I think they were probably patting themselves on the back a little bit right now. Um, because I think especially right now, Rebakna is, is going to fall up to number five in the world. Um, I, I could, so I, I don't know for sure. I could imagine her dropping further than that. Because the, from the final last year to the second round this year, yeah. she's going to drop quite a few points, probably a thousand, I would think. Yeah, it's, I think the regular point that she would lose this from WT is 1300 points so that's quite oh, okay. yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah but but yeah like it's it's going to be interesting to see like what happens um in the rest of the season now because like there's she's got considerable points to defend uh indian wells and then she was defending points in rome as well so i think that's the, yeah. probably the most points that she's defending uh for the rest of the season but uh grand slam level i think that's where probably she is not I guess she's been performing well, but like now it's like the question is she's going to win another one. Right. I mean, it is interesting with her because when she's at her best, she I think she just looks invincible. Like you remember that match with Sabalenka before this tournament? Uh, mm-hmm. Was that like a 6-0, 6-3? Yeah. Like, um, 
against the player who beat her in the final of the Australian Open last year. So like yeah. it was stuff like that that I think kind of made her like a popular pick to win this tournament. But th- there's something missing. I don't know what it is. I like I didn't pick her to win because I saw some things from her in three setters that I didn't love. Like she um like six one six two losses and deciding sets. Mm-hmm. Um, like the one to uh, Jabura at Wimbledon last year. Even though even though I think some of that was influenced by um like the the sickness at Roland Garros. And then I think I saw someone say on Twitter, like she's she's not that great of a fighter. And I think I read that and I was like, yeah, maybe she's not that great of a fighter. And it it feels ridiculous to bring that up in a match where she saved like nine match points before she mm-hmm. got beaten. But I, I don't know. I think there is something there. Like she's not I don't know. Like I think she's so good that she wins a lot of close matches, but I don't know if she has that I, I don't know. It's like the killer instinct goes away when she's behind, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes um, and I, like I don't think that applied for this match but that was kind of why I didn't pick her to win so yeah I think um, I think that will be interesting to see like what changes is she going to make I also think the forehand um, can be pretty temperamental like when when she's on again she kind of just looks invincible to me but I think uh, there are times when that forehand gets pretty shaky so yeah it's um, I, I'm sure she's gutted because I I think she oh, yeah. probably knew she had a great chance to win this tournament. Um, but, like, I, I think I had her in the final with Coco. Um, mm-hmm. But, and yeah, like like you said, it's not going to get any easier, right? Because now she's defending Indian Wells. So, the the sport, man, it's brutal. Yeah. Yeah. I think that in a way, like, because of her, the, the invincibility uh, aura, in a sense, like, exists exists a lot for her. Shiontech, or at least like used to be a lot stronger back when she was like in that super winning streak in 2022. But then like I think you mentioned it that like um when she she wasn't winning a lot of three setters, she was winning a lot of easy uh straight yeah, sets. Exactly. So it took a while for Shiontech even to figure out like how to win when things were like not really good. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's the one thing that Rebakin is, is is on the way of like finding out um on you know these types of matches it, this one particularly i think we, we can kind of like put this one aside because a match that you have six match points is not really a match that you didn't fight for and right. you you could have it was definitely it was a coin flip at that point like if if both players have this many match points you can't really toss it as if like it was a match that somebody blew or you right. know something like that it was it was really a coin flip it doesn't get any closer than that in tennis so yeah. um it's yeah, it's it's definitely something that we we will see in terms of um, next matches. Like, uh, if she were to win this match, um, we would have been able to assess this a little bit better throughout the tournament. But now we're gonna have to win until the next stop, which I have no idea which is going to be probably Doha right. or something. Um, but 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 yeah, I think it's yeah. a good point in terms of um, like uh, you know, have um, like experience winning winning close matches and fighting like that, and because that's sort of like the frame that I look at players and sometimes like I, that didn't make any sense, but I'll explain like with, um, remember when Radu Kano won the U S open yeah. um, and she won all those straight set matches. Um, and it was amazing. And she looks like the best player in the world. So the way I, I kind of look at that when it's like, okay, how's she going to do in the next tournament is like, so that was an amazing tournament, but not only does she not have a lot of experience fighting, I don't know if she's even played a three-setter at pro level at that point because she won like 10 straight matches in straight sets. Um, so like you, you look at that kind of thing, like Robakina maybe doesn't have a great track record, like 
winning a, like a scrap. Um, and uh, so if I look at that with someone like Yannick Sinner, who looks amazing right now, finished last year really, really strongly, a lot of people are saying, okay, this is the tournament where he's going to like break through. It's the, uh, the way I sort of look at it is like, I kind of need to see it first before I predict that it's going to happen, if that makes any sense. You know, like he, um, what, like last year, um, Caleb, the, the biggest troll on Twitter has been doing this recently, like Sinner lost to Altmaier at the French Open in five sets. And so he just, every time someone says something nice about Sinner, he just responds with a cliff of Altmaier hitting the ace on match point. <laughs> which is the most Caleb thing ever but yeah. um yeah so like kind of on the center thing it's like I, I absolutely think he can have a breakthrough this tournament but I'm not going to be surprised if he doesn't have one just because of that track track record in terms of like b best of five he's not he's not there yet um yeah. so y yeah with Rabakina maybe maybe that's what we should be looking for now is like how is she going to do get, like it's her best level is not an issue right like that beats everyone um <laughs> And and that's the case for most players, and uh, that's the case with Medvedev, who I I got lit up on Twitter for saying bad things about him. But um, so maybe that's the thing we should be looking for for Rabakina. You know? Like she's not like maybe things aren't great if she's just dominating everyone. Things are great if she's like scrapping past players, or if she shows herself to be capable of scrapping past players sometimes. Yeah, um, I think right before we. we head on to the men's side of uh, the draw um it's, i think the the opposite side of the draw looks quite interesting because it's it's opposite in in many in one sense more than in senses more than one because sabalenka is cruising through her matches oh my god she she, she has a double angle yeah, yeah. She, she, it, while Sviantek is being challenged like literally every step of the way sabalenka yeah. is just like well <laughs> i guess i'm just coming here and just you know doing my job and i'll like wait for tomorrow it's like she's yeah. probably eating she's probably eating ice cream at mcdonald's between matches because like there's so little effort that she has been put into because, I, I, yeah 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 about sabalenka like i mean so I, I i don't think this but like for the people who are like wca is so inconsistent blah 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 look at like sabalenka does not get upset at the majors like she goes deep every single time now um wins the australian open french open semi-final wimbledon semi-final um U.S. Open, I I am blanking. Uh, uh, final, right? Final. So, um, and, and now it's like she's blown her first three opponents out of the water. Like, do you want consistency at like the big matches? Like, look look at her. I think the only reason we talk about like, oh, she's a choker is like that's kind of the only thing you can criticize her for at this point. Um, yeah, I think uh, I really would lo love to see that uh, golf Sabalenka semifinal. It's a rematch of the U.S. Open final. Sabalenka is going to be out for revenge um because she she did kind of blow that final right like golf yeah. golf's defense was amazing but sabalenka up a set and just in the third set really kind of wilted and so i think she's going to be looking to get that back i think golf is going to be super confident because she knows she can beat sabalenka now um i would really love to see that yeah and i think second week is definitely going to be um uh the week for us to see um where Sabalenka's really at in terms of being challenged because her next opponent is Anisimova. Um yeah, who's, my God. who's had a pretty big resurgence uh in this tournament in particular. She has been playing fantastically well. Um she has gone through a bunch of stuff, uh mental health issues, depression, like the loss of um I think her father died last year or so she she was out of the game for like eight months, I believe I read it. So um it 
it's good to see her back and she's playing really well. So excited to see this uh, Sabalenka-Nisimova match. Um, after that, it's got a pretty interesting critique of uh, Andreeva um, yeah. quarter final lined up for whoever comes out of this. And then we're going to have like a, a Goff who's um, playing Magdalena Fretch. And then on the other, the, the last round four is Kostiuk, Timofeva. Who are two kind of wild cards right now? Like they, uh, yeah, yeah. And can, can we talk about Andreva as well? So oh yeah. Not not only does she beat, uh, admittedly pretty off on Shaper very easily, but yeah. against um against Perry, she's um she says she loses the first at six one, wins the second six one, and I think okay she's figured it out, and then she goes five one in the third. I I was doing something else, so I just you know like kept watching my show or whatever, and I was like oh it's over, and then. And then I think I opened my phone and I saw people tweeting and I was like, wait, no, that, that match ended, right? Like that, that was gonna, that was another 6-1. And I see it's like back to 5-all and, and then it's back to 6-5. She's serving for it. She's 30-15. And then Perry breaks her, wins three straight points to get to a tie break. And Andreva holds on and wins that tie break. Like she's 16 years old, man. Like that's that the poise is insane and i i hate to you know use the cliche like andy murray and liam brody had a disagreement of like is it mental strength or stability whatever like just to be that calm at 16 under that much pressure i don't understand that um yeah i i'm 22 and i could not do anything close to what she did um even if you give me the skill of like a an ash party um so yeah, props to her. I'm I'm really excited to follow her. I, I like her game a lot. She's got really good court sense. Um, great backhands down the line. Doesn't like she doesn't get as much pace on her shots as maybe other players, but like the shape on them is really good. It, if you know what I mean, like her yeah. like her down the line shots are like down the line. You know they don't tail towards the center. Um, she she holds her shots very well, so it's not entirely clear where she's going to hit the ball. Like it, it's a bit of that Djokovic thing where. You know where Djokovic hits like a pretty ordinary cross court backhand, and it just flies past the opponent because the opponent thought he was going to go down the line and is just like standing still. I think she's got a little bit of that. Um, yeah, I've, oh, have you gotten a chance to watch any of her yet? I saw some of her match against Jabir. Uh, um, it was a little bit demoralizing, so I stopped watching after a while. So like, yeah, um, yeah I, I love her. I really like her shots, especially the backhand. I think. Um, yeah, she doesn't play like she's new to the tour. She plays like if she's like a very experienced player. Um, but yeah, I think her forehand is a little loopy um, sometimes, but I I don't see that much as a problem. Coco Goff won a Grand Slam with yeah. her forehand, so like, why not? Um, we'll see what happens. I think this is going to be a very interesting. Um, I think that will be that will be Goff's opponent, right? I believe. Yeah, but um, and I, I, that, that would be that'd be a hell of a match i would love yeah. to see that me too uh, two teenagers as well like in this chilling open i think they will be fantastic yeah uh, and... she, yeah she also saved the match point against barry and uh when um right. andrea was serving at three five she was 30 40 down yeah uh, wow. so and, and and yeah goff is one of the only people in the world who knows what it's like to break out when you're 15 because goff was also 15 when she had that run at wimbledon um five calendar years ago now um it's insane but um, so I mean, not that that'll have an impact on the match, but it's interesting. Like two of the youngest breakouts in recent memory. Yeah, who knows? Like they have enough years ahead of them that it could turn into a big rivalry if they started mm -hmm. like consistently meeting uh, in 
you know, big matches. Andrea was a little lower ranked right now, so she would definitely catch uh, Goff in the earlier rounds. But I think she's poised to like, you know, go go up in the rankings soon enough, like maybe break into the top twenty soon. Um, yeah, uh, first. Half I mean, was here. Yeah, yeah. I, like with runs like this, was this um, was that third round that she won against Perry? Is she in round four now? Uh, yeah, this is round four. She's in the second week. Okay, I mean that's a lot of points right there. Like, um, it doesn't. I when I say it doesn't take that much to get into the top twenty. Of course, it takes a lot. It takes like a lifetime of hard work, et cetera, et cetera. Like we yeah. we know how hard tennis is. But it in terms of like if you look at what Ben Shelton did, like he essentially got to where he is with like two great runs at majors, Australian Open, U.S. Open. So mm-hmm. from that standpoint, like, uh, um, Andreva is like halfway there, right? Like, um, yeah. it's it like she's yeah she gets one or two rounds further. She's like. You know, like that ranking is going to skyrocket, and um, and when I say like two of the youngest breakouts in recent memory, I like I know like Capriati, Angus, like I I am aware of these players. So just in case anyone wants to come after me for that, yeah, yeah, I'm excited to see like and she's also really funny, like in, in press conferences. I think I think I believe Laura Robson was interviewing her or something, and then she said, "Oh, like I'm I feel like I'm more mature this year." And she's like, "Oh, you're you're 16." <laughs> and she's like, "Yeah, like, but last year I was 15, right?" So yeah. yeah. So it's a, it's yeah. a funny it's a funny personality. She seems to be really aware um, yeah. of, uh, you know, where she is, like how big this stage this stage is as well. So I think that can only be good for her. Like I don't think liking, enjoying, and just being familiar with the big stage or the big the, the screams of people on like the biggest stadiums in the world, it's it's only got to be a good thing. So that means that she's gonna be in the. Uh, in the conversations, I think so. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. And, Andy Murray approved. It's Andy uh, Murray approved. She's so funny as well about that. She said she's yeah. going to try to print it or something and like right. carry with her. That's that was hilarious. Um, yeah, I, I I love Murray's tweets. By the way, like he yeah. he doesn't tweet often, but like most most of the time when he does, that's like that's a great point, Andy. Yeah. You know, um, and uh, because of his experience, you can't really disagree with him, even if you don't agree with his points. You know what I mean? So. And that's the, that's the important part about thinking before you say something on the internet, right? So <laughs> you don't have to tweet once every two minutes. Like, think a little bit before you post something. I feel like <laughs> so, you're talking to me because I have done a lot of that. No, no that, there's there's other people that um that that did, do this quite often. But did, yeah. did did you see the Pavi thing by the way, where he like criticized the journalist for asking Zverev about the the yeah. trial, and then like there's a tweet I think like that same day. That was like, if I was a journalist, I would ask the oh, questions. I wouldn't much. kiss up to anyone. It was like, oh my God, man. He has to be a parody. Um, it's but... it's interesting. I mean, yeah, that's one of the reasons why I say people should think a little bit for... Because, yeah, at that point, and since since we already started, like, let's just move on, I guess, to um, the the men's side of, of the draw. Um, uh, of course, the, the women's draw is, is amazing uh, we are going to come back to it later when the, the tournament is over but um yeah the the men's draw is a has complications of its own <laughs> but um i think definitely what's it's been um the worst part of the the men's tournament this year when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Has been the whole is very fiasco. Yeah. You're mute somehow. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, it's like a cloud hanging over everything. And I every tournament I like I thank the lucky stars that he like was not given that killer instinct, you know, like I and that he hasn't won one yet. Because I think if that happens, it's just gonna be God, it's just gonna be terrible. Um watching like the reaction to it from the people who have not handled the domestic violence thing well. Um So yeah, I don't know. I mean that breakpoint episode is a disgrace. I like I, I haven't watched it. I'm not gonna watch it, but I've I've heard that he was portrayed as like the hero. They didn't mention that stuff at all. And the the thing that came to mind for me was like um like Netflix is trying to create new fans of tennis. Like so you're gonna try to create fans of this guy who are then gonna look him up and see that like he's gonna be put on trial for being credibly accused of domestic violence by like he's been accused by two former partners so like you're gonna create this image of this guy and then people are gonna find out on their own because you didn't tell them um that he sucks um like i think that's pretty awful um but yeah you do you have anything to add i don't have much of a desire to spend a lot of time on this oh yeah no for sure i do i do think that it's, it's really sad that like all the things that have been allowed to happen it's almost as if it happens exactly because of, you know, the situation that he's in off the court. Um, and it's not parallel in that sense. Like, it, it it almost looks like it's related. It's almost like they're doing it on purpose because it's kind of ridiculous. Like, tonight even, as we as we speak, as we're recording, he has been, and we were talking this uh, off, off, off camera, um, but she, he's been scheduled to play on, on Rod Laver. Let me pull out the schedule real quick here. Um, he's been scheduled to play on Rod Laver last match of the day right after Higash Fiontech who by the way has been vocal about this well not vocal yeah. but she's the only person who really give, give an answer about this like this proper shout out to Kazakina as well on Twitter exactly um, and he's playing uh, I think Alex Michelson I think that's his name so a guy who's you know up and coming next gen and whatnot but he's he's not a superstar you know, he's not the reason that matches on Rob Laver. So. Exactly. Yeah. And then we have on Margaret Court, Felix Sojeliasim versus Daniel Medvedev. Um, even Victoria Azarenka versus Elena Ostapenko. Like there and Medvedev uh Ojeliasim, mind you, was like one of the best matches of twenty twenty two. Yeah. On in in on Rod Laver Arena at the Australian <laughs> Open at a quarterfinal. Medvedev, a guy who actually reached the final of the Australian Open twice. <laughs> what is what is the problem? Is this like that's the one thing? It's like I, it almost looks like it's on purpose. Like at this point, like yeah. for me, that's the that's the thing. It's like 
not only they they are listening, but they're acting contrary to what people are saying. That's what it feels like. I don't know if they're doing this, but that's what it feels like. Because it definitely yeah. feels like they're rubbing it on our faces that we can't really do anything about it. Right. I, I agree. Because from the tennis standpoint, like Zverev is not, he wasn't what he was built up to be, right? Like they tried to make him the next golden boy. He hasn't won a major. He hasn't been in a major final since the one that he choked away to Dominic team three years ago. Um, he... Like, he has this massive serve, and yet when he has hit a second serve on a big point, he loses his mind and, like, babies it in or double faults. Like, he's not he's not the next guy. He's not that golden child. We have one of those now in Alcaraz, and we have his rival in Sinner. Like, we don't—you don't need to mark his Zverev anymore. I don't understand why, like, he—like, I don't know. It's like he's— it's like he's giving you the option, like, with his tennis to, like, just let him fade into the background— and um, you know, of course, his personality, like he's he's a like he's such a um he's like an inflated opinion of himself. So he think he's like, Oh, I I deserve all these things, which like no, you don't. Um, but yeah, I, I don't understand why he's been giving the he's been given these opportunities. Like if um I I just don't get it. Um but you know, he's um when I saw him in that close match with Klein, like I I figured he would win just because that's what he usually does. He gets dragged into these unnecessarily close matches and he does win them, but then he also loses when he gets to the tough tough competition. I think that's gonna happen again. So, um, yeah, hopefully we won't have to talk about him much more. But yeah, just the way it's been handled is atrocious. So, um hope yeah. like but I do think the people who have been speaking up about it have been doing a great job. Um, I hope they keep speaking up about it. I hope others who are not start speaking up about it. And uh, then maybe that'll eventually result in something. Yeah. And just to go back, I, the silver lining, I think I said in the beginning, is that at least we can hope that there is like at least like a probably a 0.5 chance that he's going to win this tournament. Like Djokovic is playing. Even though he's been scraping by, it's Djokovic. Uh, then we also have... Golden Boys, uh, Yannick Sinner and Carlos Akras have been playing extremely well, especially I'd say Yannick Sinner. I don't think he has been, you know, because um, one of the biggest problems about like ending the season the way he did is how are you going to start the new one? So, I, yeah, I think he did really well this year. I think it's been, I watched some of the bias uh, match yesterday and my God, what a blowout. It, it, it looked like a junior was playing in that, on that court. It, it was ridiculous. It's just that Sinner's neutral shots are just so potent and so precise and just the shape of his shots is so incredibly perfect that Baez just needed to like raise his intensity just to keep up with the Sinner's just like regular rally ball. I think he tweeted about that as well. Um, and it's it's insane. Like I feel like if Sinner keeps playing like this, it's it's going to be a tough one for whoever is standing in, 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 in front of him. And Alcaraz haven't been able to watch him. He's still on the Australian Open, but he seems to be doing well. Um, I think he's, in a way, back to his old self of like just being like extremely pumped up about things and whatnot. Have you have you been able to catch some of Alcaraz? Yeah, so I'm not. I don't know if I've watched enough of him that I should mm. be saying this, and maybe people are gonna disagree with me. But I'm a little concerned about him. I think mm. uh, I haven't loved what I've seen. I think like. I feel like something is kind of up with his forehand. Like he, um, when I think of his forehand, I think of him hitting the absolute piss out of every single ball. And he's kind of been hitting more nothing shots than I remember. 
mm-hmm. at least than I remember him hitting when he's at his best. Um, that match with Sinego, man, he was a tiebreak away from going to a fifth. Um, I, and you know, Sinego, like so- solid player, doesn't give up. But I, I don't know. I even when the second set went to a tiebreak, or when it was as close as it was, I think I went to bed at like five all in the second set. I was kind of like, I don't know, man. Alcaraz is. Uh, he doesn't look as good as I would like him to look. Um, mm. Maybe that's the fan in me talking because I do like him and I did pick him to win. But um, and and you know he'll he'll raise his level when he has to. I think like that Cincinnati last year. He he did not look good that tournament, and then he's got championship points to be Djokovic in straight sets. Um, so when it matters, I think he will go off a gear. But um, I'm I don't know I'm a little concerned. Some people are like I think he's going to lose to Tommy Paul. I don't think Tommy Paul can beat him in five sets. I just don't like. I just don't think that's going to happen. I don't see it in his game. Um, m- maybe I'm wrong, but I I, I don't know. I'm uh I, yeah. I think I don't love Alcaraz's chances right now. I'm I'm sticking by my pick, but and maybe he goes up a gear. But I, I've seen a couple of things. I'm like oh, I don't know. I I don't think he's quite there right now. Yeah, I don't. I think he started doing this a bit last year, so I noticed that he wasn't really like firing up like his forehand as he normally does. So yeah, I think Alcaraz last year was show, showed a bit of um, lack of form in this forehand, and I'm not sure if he was just like too tentative about it. He wasn't just um, the fearless force on the court that I got um, used to seeing. I think he was like looping up a bit too many forehands, just kind of. Just trying to like find a decent rally shot. Maybe that's a part of the strategy in a way. Just um, instead of just like going for um, super powerful forehands all the time, which seemed to be working. So I don't know exactly why he needed to change that. Maybe injuries, maybe to prevent injuries. Um, but trying to find like a, I do, I do think that maybe if he needs to find like a rally shot, I think he needs to uh, pick. Uh, chances to let it rip on the forehand still because it's his main weapon. Like there's no reason to like just like wipe it out of his of, of his arsenal. It's like the, probably the stupidest thing to do. So like I feel like um, if you have a weapon like that, which by the way is one of the reasons, if not the main reason, why his drop shot is so good. Um, so like if if you erase that, like you you make your opponents coming closer uh, to the baseline. Your job shot is not as effective. They're able to like just you know hit the ball a little bit closer to the baseline, which rushes Alcaraz's forehand as well. So it's not something that he wants to be doing. So I'm, it's something that I was uh, I was concerned a little bit about him like last year. I wasn't really sure why. Maybe if it's to prevent injury, that's okay. Um, but yeah, let's see what happens like uh, when he faces like you know opponents that will um, you know really make him get to the level that he needs to be at. Um, and I don't think that's very healthy either to, for him to be pushing himself like too far in in, fi- in, in five setters and doing best of fives before you know before things get serious in the in the quarters and semis. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. That that's a great point of like why if it is a choice, I don't understand. Like, um, and and yeah, if you look at that U.S. Open loss to Medvedev, um, what was the problem? It was that like he didn't have a great forehand today. Like Medvedev could like kind of match him forehand to forehand a lot of the time or at least more time more than was ideal for Alcaraz um so yeah I hope um I hope that shot comes back to the extent that he needs it um and and yeah also like I because it was working for him right it wasn't like he was hitting 40 or 50 forehand on force errors a match when um when he was hitting the crap out of every single ball so 
um, yeah, hope hope that comes back. I don't like I said, I don't really see him losing early. I think that Tommy Paul match, if it happens, is potentially tricky. But I, don't, I feel like worst case, it's like a tight four setter, maybe five with a couple tense moments. Um, but yeah, I don't know, as of now, I have him like losing in the late rounds. I don't. Know, I, I still kind of think he'll get to the final because um, because it is Medvedev in the semi, and I I don't know. I I feel like Medvedev. Uh, do, do you want to talk about Medvedev a little bit? I was about to say let's let's just let's just move on. Let's just do Medvedev now. Sure, because yeah, I had some controversial tweets about him that you might have seen. Um, yeah, do, yeah. What are your thoughts on him? Um, first of all, I think people on Twitter are very incendiary. Uh, somebody said like at some point like um, what was that super famous tweet? Somebody said like, oh, I really like croissants. And it's like so that means you don't like sandwiches. It's like that's not what I said. <laughs> Yeah, so it's like it's a, it's it's that thing. I feel like what you said, um, probably because of the fact that I know you a little bit more than other people on Twitter that were just coming across a tweet like that, especially uh, the fans. Um, but I, I understood what you meant that like we oh, on uh, yeah, like Medvedev is a player that like when he peaked uh, back in 2021, even back in 2019, um, um, he was like doing so well. Um, I was I, I was really big on him. I, I thought like, well, maybe Medvedev is gonna dominate Harcourt until like for the next like I don't know five years when um, another three four uh, U.S. Open Australian Opens uh, that hasn't happened. And I think that that the thing is I'm not sure exactly what happened. Partially because of the injury that he suffered, I think he had a hernia. Partly because of the extreme disappointment disappointment of losing to Nadal in the Australian Open 2022. Um, Maybe all those things are factors. Um, he he did a super uh, good comeback last year. I think he he did as well as we were sort of expecting him to. It's like we were kind of lower expectations have been on him, um, especially after Alcaraz came to the scene. Um, but now it's like, okay, now your weaknesses are all exposed. Your your strengths your strengths are really strong, but then. What now? What are you going to do about this? And then, like, now, instead of having just to deal with Djokovic, uh, you, you now have to deal with Alcaraz, who is on your way. And, and Sinner, who he's lost to. Too. Exactly. And Sinner as well, who is growing, by the way, becoming, like, a lot bigger now. He's beaten him, as I said, like, twice last year. And those two guys have games that, especially Alcaraz, has a game that um, is consistently um, bothering Medvedev. The serving volley, the drop shots is... Uh, something that Medvedev is, has a hard time to deal with. So, I don't know. I think Medvedev is going to... I think Medvedev is, is a still solid top three player as he is right now. Um, I think he... I, I think center replaces him pretty soon, actually. He could. He could. But I think he's in the conversation still. Um, and uh, I think he we're going to see him more of Medvedev in semifinals. But... I think for him to win another Grand Slam, I think I think the draw is going to have to work in his favor a little bit. I think yeah. players are going to need to be upset early. Um, I don't even think he has what it takes to beat Djokovic uh, anymore. Um, but yeah, especially in the Australian Open, like I, I feel like Australian Open is like I couldn't I could only basically pick um, Alcaraz to beat Djokovic right now, it, and and even that is uh, on the off chance. <laughs> Yep, I, I no, I'm completely with you. I agree with everything you said. Like I, I had this kind of frustrating exchange with someone on Twitter with when when I said that, and they were sort of like, because 
Yeah, I like I, I like I said, I agree with you. And when when he was at his best, I I don't know, I kinda saw something in him where like like we talked about with Rabaki and I, I think the issue was like he looks great at his best when he's not at his best, he really struggles. And I during that phase, I thought his peak was amazing, but I also saw these adjustments that he made, like the way he pushed that US Open final to five sets in twenty nineteen after he was gonna lose in straights. And the way he was down a set and under pressure to Dominic team at the World Tour Finals, and he wins that match with his net game. Um, I don't know. I kind of saw enough of that. And like the, the Cincinnati final against Djokovic in um, 2019, where he's down a set and he, um, and then he starts hitting like massive second serves. Um, and he just like serves Djokovic off the court. Um, I don't. I saw enough things like that where I was like, he he's going to be really really good. And then the. Um, then he wins the U.S. Open in 2021, and he and not that there weren't disappointments along the way, but he wins that, and then he's on his way to winning the next major too, which people don't really. Do. You don't win two straight. Osaka did it. I think others have done it in the past, but like that doesn't happen. And so I said, like, yeah, when he looked certain to win his second straight, I would have said, oh, he'll win five or something. And someone was like, and I was totally wrong. And someone was like, I want to know why you thought that. And I was like, well. I'm admitting to being wrong. I just thought he looked really great. And they were like, oh, well, like, do you know how unprecedented that is in history? Like, you win, you don't win a major before you're 24, or like, you, um, or like, you're not ranked when you're a teenager, and then you go on to win five. And it was like, well, not really thinking of it from that perspective. It was just, mm-hmm. like, I saw this player in front of me, and I got this feeling like he's gonna, like, he's gonna win a lot, you know? And, and I, I, I don't, is that crazy? Like, if he, during that Australian Open final in 2022, when it looks like he was going to win, um, if someone had said to you over under five majors in his career, what what would you have said? Uh, I think it's it's tough. I think I could see his level is consistent enough that if he had won that Australian Open, I could I wouldn't say why. I'd say why not. Like, like I think he had like all chances that he. That he could have maybe won the 2022 U.S. Open as well, defended his title. Um, where then then Australian Open 2023 would have been a little bit more difficult because should Djokovic come back and and won, which he did last year, um, I think it would have been just a little bit more difficult. But you know, I think could have things could have been different. It's 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 a lot of people like when they say stuff as in. Um, <laughs> Just like, well, now you know, like, but back then it, you, you couldn't know. So it was like, you're talking in hindsight, like everybody knows everything in hindsight. So it doesn't really matter. So, um, yeah, it, it is an unprecedented, maybe like expecting somebody, people to win five Grand Slams is always a tough task. Andy Murray didn't win five Grand Slams. Standard Rinka didn't win five Grand Slams. Um, so many other players were good, um, great even, like couldn't win five grand slams. So I think when you push up to that markets, it's, it's definitely ambitious. Um, but so, so in a way, maybe you were too high on Medvedev, but, but at the same but, time, but I wasn't, I wasn't crazy. Right. Like it wasn't. No. Yeah. Yeah. And up like that, I, I don't know that that was sort of how it seemed like some people were reacting yeah. They were like, I, I can't believe you're, you're so disappointed in him. And I'm like, well, yeah, I had these really high standards and they were like, you had like standards that were that high. And I was kind of like, yeah, mm-hmm. Feel like kind of feel like a lot of people did, right? Like yeah. I, I, I think I, yeah. Um, I, I mean, like he wins. Let's say he wins that second one. That's two straight. He's you know twenty five or twenty six at that point. Yeah. You two hardcore majors a year. He's probably got another. 
if he's lucky another decade before he really declines physically like that's I, I I don't know. I just, like I didn't think it was that much of a stretch to say he could win three more. Like yeah. after that, but I don't know. Some people seems to think that it, it was, and then some people seems to think that he's a lot better now than I seem to think he is. But mm. uh, like I don't know that. Well, you you mentioned his comeback here last year, and I I briefly got high on him again when he was winning all those little tournaments after the Australian Open, and then he wins Rome. He wins Rome, and he's like, he's like notoriously notorious for losing his head on clay and then he wins rome and he beats Tsitsipas and runa in straight sets uh seven five seven five seven five and i'm thinking like okay he's turned the corner and then what does he do he loses in the second round of roland garros um and like that that stretch after the australian open it was it was great you know he beat Djokovic in dubai like he won all those tournaments but what happened at the australian open he lost in the third round to seb corda in straight sets and it, I don't know, there's just been enough of that where I, I just have to admit, like, he's not, he's really not the guy who I thought he could be. Um, mm. Like, and I, I don't know, I, I've seen enough now of him kind of failing to adapt to the serve and volley that I feel somewhat comfortable saying, like, that's not going to change. Um, and so that that was sort of what I was saying on Twitter was, like, I, I had this picture of him in my head as this, like, this all-time great. And, and I was yeah. that because he's... Because I'm pretty disappointed with where he is now, and I I don't know maybe I expressed that in a way that um like like you said got some incendiary reactions, but um I I don't know I I don't think it was that crazy. Yeah, I mean I don't know. Um, yeah, it's always making bold predictions is exactly this, right? It's like bold predictions. Like you you had like some some you know um, truth to base yourself on. Like just you know Medvedev was playing really well, and to be honest, like the Australian Open match was an aberration of a final in a way because like how do you go on to lose a match like that i, I mean definitely nadal played really well but it's 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 very uncommon it just doesn't happen yeah um, and the things like that about uh sorry sorry to cut you off that but the the thing we don't talk about anymore is how good he looked early in that match like he um i think he broke nadal at love twice in a row like he he looks like a killer in the first set yeah and the second set um you know, he was off, like he got broken, but but he came back and won it in that tiebreak with this this really great defensive point on set point. Um and so it, it was I was sort of like, okay, like he's he's got the peak level and he worked through those lapses to win the second set, even though yeah. it all still should have won it. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I was watching it and I was like, Yeah, he he's exactly like he's doing everything I wanted him to do. And then it all just kinda went away. Yeah. And I think particularly uh I think his confidence took a little bit of a hit, like uh, especially, and um, I think it's never really been the same since. Like uh, sometimes he shows some of that confidence, sometimes he shows some of the old Medvedev. I think when he did the little dancing, when he beat Tsitsipas in Rome, was as, as close to um, vintage Medvedev as you can get uh, nowadays. But um, yeah, I feel like for him specifically on against certain volleyers, like um, he definitely needs to be an, at a level which he was back in 2021, where his return game is ridiculously good. Like, just insane. I remember, like, some of his returns that he was making back into 2021 uh, Canadian Open, um, especially in the final against Opelka. He was just so far away, but he was, like, just, like, putting the ball wherever he wanted. Like, yeah. third and volley was not an issue. But now he's just not returning, maybe not as well. Maybe he's trying to, like, keep the ball as, as somewhat, like, deeper... Um, he's he's hitting on the net like a few more times. Like he's not 
it's not his peak peak level as he used to be. Um, and he was at that peak level when he faced Alcaraz, and that's the reason why he beat him because the return was just ridiculous uh, on uh, against Alcaraz in, in that in the semifinal. So I think that's when he needs to be. But like, can he can he keep that level high and consistently enough? Uh, I mean, it's a question that he's going to have to answer himself. Like he, he got in some serious trouble um, two days ago, I think. So I guess it was a worry. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, and and yeah, that's that's exactly what I was wrong about. Is like exactly like he said. I I watched him stand at the back wall and hit these amazing angles. Like I, and I, I guess it was the thing like with the one-handed backhands where like you watch it hit a, a few winners and it's like, oh, this is an amazing shot. But it's like, it's yeah, that they only do that so often. I I don't know. I felt like I had watched Medvedev hit enough of those angles that I was like, he doesn't even have to stand in. He can stand all the way back there and still pass you. Um, yeah. Like he he hit these around the net return winners, and that um the one on the set point against Nadal in the U.S. Open final in the fourth set, you remember um Nadal hits this out wide serve and tries to serve and volley, and Medvedev is like a mile outside both lines and just hits it down the line right into the corner. It's one of the best returns I've ever seen. Um, and, and yeah, like I, I still see him hit that shot. I'm like the one where you um the per player tries to serve and volley behind the wide serve on the deuce side, and you hit the cross court forehand past them. Um. He hit that on the match point of the the match he beat Djokovic in Cincinnati. Um, mm. I I felt like I had seen him do that enough that I was like he can do this if he has to, and uh, and I was wrong. He can he can do it sometimes, but not often enough. Like he he lost to Djokovic in straight sets in that U.S. Open final. Um, and I and it, it feels weird that I'm being this negative about someone who just beat Carlos Alcaraz in that semi, but I think that final kind of disillusioned me for good. Um, against Djokovic where I was like he he couldn't even take a set you you knew Djokovic was going to serve in Bali because he did it against you in the Paris final yeah. in 2021 to great success um you knew that was going to happen like you had time to figure out exactly what kind of returns you were going to have to hit and you couldn't hit them um so I, he's still he's still a great player he's third in the world he's um but you know my friends at Open Era, um, I think both picked him to win this tournament. Like he's um, he's got backers. He um, like I, I like his personality. You know when he's not throwing things or yelling at umpires. <laughs> um, and um, and I like still when when he peaks, I like I catch myself going like, oh, he could he could do all these things. But um, yeah, it's just what those tweets were about. I'm kind of at the point where I'm like, yeah, I th- I think I was wrong about the things he could do. So I you know I apologize to the. God, I sound like I'm apologizing for something that like offended people. Um, I, uh, I I don't know. I you know I'm sorry if the tweet like made you feel bad or if you think I was being overly harsh. But I I don't know. I I stick by it. Yeah. And uh, now that we've come to it, I think there's only one player that we really should talk about. I guess the one player that um, is uh, the X factor in uh, in Australia, Novak Djokovic. Is he the X factor, or is he like the constant factor in Australia? I guess the constant factor, really. And you're right. So the the, the one player that you know he steps in Australia. If he doesn't get deported, you know that <laughs> he's probably gonna win it. So um, I shouldn't be laughing at that, but um, yeah, he's had an interesting run so far. What what do you yeah. what are what are your thoughts on on Novak Simon Melbourne in in 2024? I hate first rounds from Novak Djokovic because it's like they don't mean anything. Like if this one means something, it's gonna be rare, a rarity in his career. So like, yeah, I mean, I feel like maybe he lost too many um, 
too many sites already. Um, you'd expect him to lose maybe one, which he did in the first round. Uh, Four-hour match, like, oh my gosh, that was brutal. Um, so it, I also wasn't able to watch um, any of his matches because he's only been playing a night session, which means it's um, super, super early mornings for me uh, here in Canada. Um, so it's it's tough to gauge. Um, but also, I mean, is age catching up a little bit to him? Maybe. Maybe his legs aren't exactly as it used to be. But Djokovic also is really great at like just managing his own level of energy. So maybe these sets aren't, aren't, aren't really anything. Maybe the time that he spends on court isn't really anything um, because he picks the right games to win, the right points to win, um, and the right moments to, you know, um, run for his life. So I think that he's, he's good enough to do that. So I'm I'm definitely have to wait and see like the next opponent that is a seeded opponent, like a, tie, a high seed. Um, to, for him to, you know, to play against and, uh, you know, do something about it. Uh, he's playing Manorino next, which should be interesting. Um, I, I think that's going to be an easy one. Manorino has played three or five setters in a row. Yeah, it, that's definitely going to play a role in it. So I guess the next time that we are really going to see something out of uh, Djokovic is likely going to be Titipas or Fritz, but those ones are the, it's just the, uh, just that the history is tough, but yeah, say two players who are historically great and not just pushing but beating Novak Djokovic, right? Um, exactly. But yeah, I think I want to see him playing against Sinner, and that's yeah, like in the semifinals. That's in the semifinals, but I want to see him playing against Sinner before I actually can say there's no way anybody else is beating Djokovic in this tournament. Yeah, and I, I don't know. Maybe if it seems like my um, my criticisms of Medvedev are a little like angry. I feel like this is part of why is like the only players I care about Djokovic playing now are Center and Alcaraz. And you know, Medvedev was one of them. Um, and he's not anymore. Um yeah, it's I think the age thing, like he he is he is declining a little bit, right? Like where he used to get gassed in like the second set, and now it kind of happens immediately after there's a long rally, you know? Um he's He's got physical issues again, so this this run has already been more hairy than his title was last year. Um, but it's not by enough to make a difference yet. Um, and and it seems like he's also already doing the thing where he looks like... Like, remember 2021 when he had the ab thing? And yeah. He, uh, he had some really, really, like, tough matches. Like, the one does Zverev, he really should have lost that one because he loses the first. He's down... I think he's down like 0-3-15-40 in um, the third, wins that 6-4, and then he's down at break again in the fourth, saves the set point there. Like, he really easily could have lost that one. Um, so I, I feel like we're seeing something closer to that this year than we are um, seeing like what happened last year where he sort of just bulldozed everyone. Um, but I think the thing is also happening where like things look really tough early and then they start to get better. Um, yeah. Even though in theory, and this is why people accuse him of faking injuries, like in theory, if you've got a physical issue and you're playing tennis, the further you get, the tougher it's going to get. But with him, it's kind of the opposite sometimes. Um, like I, and to be clear, I'm not accusing him of anything. It's just I think it's just that is what raises a few eyebrows. Is like what he does sort of defies the conventional wisdom um, in so many ways in his career because he's been amazing. But yeah, look, and, and so like because he he beat Etcheverian straights. And if you watch him play a four-hour first-round match 
conventional wisdom is going to tell you that person is probably not going to win this tournament, right? Um, but but yeah, it's like you said, the ones that matter are the ones against Sinner and Alcaraz. If he loses to anyone else, it's probably going to be because of a physical issue. I honestly think if he loses to Sinner, physical issues are probably going to play a role there as well. Like the, the way I imagine that match is like if Djokovic is healthy enough, he's going to do the thing where he goes up 3-0 immediately. Um, he's going to come out with a with a tactic that Sinner isn't expecting. Like it's probably going to be like peppering the forehand really hard again. Center's going to get a little tight. First set's going to go by. Sec- second set will be like a tight 7-5 or something for Djokovic. Maybe maybe Sinner pinches the third set, but um, I, I don't know. I, I see Djokovic winning that one. I, th- I think the like, guy who can take him out is like Alcaraz at his best. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I might be running the risk of being too high on Sinner, but I just feel like Sinner is... It might be in a good spot right now. I feel like if there is a moment where Sinner could take advantage of his uh, current confidence and momentum, it would be right now to try to get a breakthrough in, in, in the Australian Open. Mm-hmm. But it's it's still rough. I mean, yeah, like oof. Djokovic is like a... He's not a... Somehow he's a player that we don't really know um, what to expect but like not in the sense that like we expect him to lose but we expect him to win so much that like right i really want to see where he's at before i can tell somebody's gonna beat him mm-hmm. <laughs> because like i just don't know i just i don't feel like any like logic says that he shouldn't lose <laughs> to anybody essentially but then like i need to see it at any match to see how he's doing see like if the competition really coming up to his level are they not? Is Sinner really playing that well that he's going to like challenge Djokovic in Australia to the point of you know almost winning? Who knows? So yeah, I feel like that's that's Djokovic. Uh, it's a always keep an eye on him, um, but do never ever count him out, especially in Australia. It, yeah, exactly. And in terms of like, is the field catching up to him again outside Sinner and Alcaraz? I like, I just don't see it. Like it's. I don't want to be disrespectful to Fritz or Tsitsipas, but hearing you talking about the draw and it's like, yeah, in the quarters, he'll get one of them. It's it's just like a little bit depressing almost because I know, like, I know those guys can't beat him. Um, they've tried so many times and like, not only do they fail repeatedly, they're not even getting closer anymore. Tsitsipas has lost, is it 11 straight, 10 straight to him? Something, Something like that. Um, It's not... I I don't it just doesn't make me want to see that match a whole lot. Um not not that what I want matters, but it's just yeah, I don't see a lot of suspense in that one. Like the most interesting thing in that matchup is like, oh, how injured is Djokovic? Because that's the only thing that would put the results in doubt. Um yeah. I don't know. I feel like TT Foss could serve it like or Fritz could serve it like ninety percent and it wouldn't make a difference in the end. Um and I feel that way with most players on tour. So I, you know, um, I do want to give kudos to a uh, for, um, like that amazing test he gave Djokovic in the first round. This guy's 18 years old. Um, yeah. he, he drew out like the pusher Djokovic, you know, like if you get enough balls back and you make it enough of a struggle and Djokovic doesn't want to just go for winners, like you can get a version of him that kind of plays like these pushy long rallies, not to use the word pushing in a derogatory way, but um, and yeah, like Prismich played that really well. And then he was down 4-0 and in the fourth and got a break back. And I think he even saved like five match points before the end. And um, and Professor Popperin as well, um, who I'm sure is kicking himself for not 
taking one of those set points to go up two sets to one. But mm. that's kind of what I mean when I say like Djokovic is declining a bit. Like usually you don't see him get pushed that hard, you know, when he has his iffy match. It's like he he'll drop a set. But I, I was surprised to see him go that close to going down two sets to one in the second round. It's usually it's usually not that extreme. Um I don't know if it's ever been that extreme since like two thousand and five. But um or since twenty seventeen when Esteban beat him. But yeah, yeah. Who knows? I, I don't know. I, I'm sticking with my Alcaraz pick, but I, Djokovic, I probably like his odds better than anyone else's to win right now. Yeah, I think I picked Djokovic uh, in the in our uh, podcast with the more amusing, essentially because you picked Alcaraz, I wanted to pick Alcaraz, but I, I just wanted to pick Alcaraz to be different. So exactly, uh, I was not going to be different if if I picked Alcaraz at that point because it would be three to one. So I picked Djokovic, which is my actual logical conclusion to this tournament. Djokovic uh, winning in the, his 25th Grand Slam? Yeah. <laughs> Holy crap. 11th Australian Open. At that point, you would almost believe, could he get to 14? <laughs> I mean, yeah. But yeah, it's a... I, I, I don't think so. He'd be... I'll... Be like almost 40 years old. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah, but not, not 40 yet. So... Yeah. I mean, Federer almost won Wimbledon at like 39, wasn't it? So... Uh, I think he was 37. Was he? Uh, yeah. Or, yeah, I think he was almost 38. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's not outside the realm of possibility, right? Like, he uh, yeah. he he makes us pay for counting him out. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I I just hope that either the match, I, I hope that the matches with Sinner and Alcaraz happen, and I hope that at least one of them is a genuinely good match where there are moments where you don't really know who's going to win. Um I think that might be a little too much to hope for, but um, that's what I'm hoping for them. Yeah. Yeah. Excited for a second week as well. I think that both men and women draws are, are coming together nicely. I think that there are obviously different narratives on both sides, different storylines, different permutations, different focuses. But yeah, I think it's going to be interesting um, as all, all Grand Slams are very much. Um, so yeah, excited to see what happens. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for joining in um for you the listener you can uh follow us on twitter at tennis and bagels i believe that's just an bagels. i don't even know my my own handles anymore um but yeah my own handle is definitely a at rollenberg andre um owen is at tennis nation because i tag him a lot in messages so i know his, his handle by heart um you can also follow von free to gate um well von free is his handle but von is a Follow podcast if it's a bit too busy right now with the uh, tennis one. Go give tennis one to follow his and doing doing his data analyzing at tennis one is uh, yeah cool for us now. Now I'm kidding. I many many congrats on the gig belt and yeah yeah he's doing a pretty pretty good job. And also go back and listen to our predictions at the Marine Musing podcast. We also going to leave a link in the description here. Um, we had me Owen and Claire and Peter from the Marine Musing podcast. Um, and uh, yeah, it was a, a ton of fun, and uh, you're going to be able to see um, what we said about you know general predictions on the matches and what was going to happen. Uh, and so yeah, thanks so much for listening. I'll see you guys next time. Mom. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 